let's get going today. We have a lot, a lot, a lot to cover. And uh, it's really good to see everybody. Again, my name's Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. There's some folks that have Bibles for you. We always want to open the Word. We, we prefer that you have the Bible in front of you, although we'll put the verses on the screen as well. But if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. And when you get that Bible, turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. Each week when we gather as a community, we open this, again, this, this collection of books and letters called the Bible, and we come as a community together to, to learn from the scriptures, which we believe point to Jesus. We come to learn from Jesus himself, opening our hearts to him, um, and, and committing ourselves to obey whatever it is that he teaches us. And so most of the time we do that by preaching through verse by verse through books of the Bible. That's sort of the bread and butter of what we do around here. We've been in the book of Romans since the Reagan administration. It's been great. It's been really good. Really good. But we're in a little bit of a break from that teaching series right now. Um, we're in a series called, I think it's up there. It's called What the Son of God Said. Sort of a summer series on theology according to Jesus. Asking questions like, what did Jesus say about the word of God? We saw that a couple of weeks ago. The last two weeks before this week, we looked at what the Son of God said about the church of God. Today's sermon is titled, What the Son of God Said About the Kingdom of God. What did Jesus teach about the kingdom. What we'll do this morning is we'll look at a number of texts, but we'll start together in Mark chapter 1, looking at verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's our starting text from today. The New Testament scholar Gordon Fee said this. I think we have this quote. He says this, you cannot know anything about Jesus, anything, if you miss the kingdom of God. You are zero on Jesus if you don't understand this term. I'm sorry to say it that strongly, but this is the great failure of evangelical Christianity. We have had Jesus without the kingdom of God and therefore have literally done Jesus in. That's not a happy quote, right? That's not fun. It's not a fun start to the sermon. Because no one wants to get a zero on Jesus, right? Like, I don't care if this is the first time you have ever been to church, or maybe you were a part of our church when it was started in the year 1990. Whoever you are, I, I, I'm guessing you don't want to get a zero on Jesus. Am I right? Okay, nobody wants to get a zero on Jesus. And a, and a quote like this will do one of two things. It will either make you feel terrible, or, and this is what I'm banking on today, or it will inspire us to consider that we have the great privilege today to consider the mystery and the wonder of the kingdom of God. I'm hoping for the latter. Are you with me? We get not just this week, but next week as well. Maybe we should take years to do this, but we get a couple of weeks to consider the thing that many argue Jesus spoke 
the most about? What was Jesus constantly talking about in his life and in his ministry? It was the kingdom of God. And so we're going to explore that. This will not be exhaustive. You will not learn everything that there is to know about the kingdom of God, but you will learn some things that I think will help you and your walk with Jesus, and I think will help us as a church to understand our place in his kingdom. And so today, we're going to consider two themes that are related to the kingdom of God. We're going to talk this morning about the priority of the kingdom, and we're going to talk about the authority of the kingdom. When we get to the portion of the message where we're talking about the authority of the kingdom, we'll get more into kind of a working definition of the kingdom of God. But what I want to start doing this morning is exactly what Mark does in this text that we just read. That is raise our awareness of the priority of the kingdom to Jesus. The kingdom of God was his priority. And many have argued that this was the priority of Jesus. And it's right there in our text. If you look at verse 14, our text tells us that John the Baptist, it says that John was arrested. What it literally is saying in the Greek is that John was handed over. Now, and if you've read the Gospels um, about Jesus, you know that just in in a few short chapters on from this, it will tell us that Jesus himself predicted that he would be handed over. So John's ministry is what is called a forerunner to the ministry of Jesus. John um, comes out into the wilderness baptizing and, um, and proclaiming that a king is coming. And then his ministry right here in this moment, his public ministry is reaching his, its end and Jesus's ministry is just now beginning. And notice here that Mark's first words recorded from Jesus as he launches his ministry In verse 15, it tells us this, that his first words are related to the kingdom of God. Jesus announces this. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So these are the first words uttered out of Jesus's mouth as his ministry begins. And what does it relate to? It relates to the kingdom. So what we'll do this morning is we're going to look at this passage a bit in depth and move on to some other passages, but we'll stay here for just a moment because I want to talk about the theme of time as we talk about the priority of the kingdom. Jesus says that the time is fulfilled. Jesus is saying something is happening right now in your midst, and he uses this word time. Now, the Greeks had two words for recognizing time, chronos and kairos. Chronos is about measurable time. The chronos time right now, according to that clock, which I don't think is correct, but the chronos time right now is 9.34, Sunday, September 7th. Are you with me? That is the measurable time, progressive time, changing as we speak. But kairos time is different. And Jesus says the kairos time is being fulfilled right now. Kairos is the opportune time. It's a critical moment. And Kairos is the word Jesus is using. He's not saying it's Thursday and I'm here. He's saying that the new era has dawned. He's saying that this is the moment right now as he comes into his ministry. Jesus is saying this is the moment that God has chosen to act decisively in the world. I'll illustrate this with, this, with 
this illustration is going to be very trivial, but I'm going to use it anyways, okay? If you've been to a Blazer game, not last year, God help us, but years prior and hopefully years to come, a new era has dawned, we've been told. But if you've been in the Moda Center and you've experienced the, the intensity of a close game, the excitement of it, it's, it's a powerful moment. And you may have been sitting there, and as you looked at the Jumbotron or whatever it's called, and it tells you the time. And the chronos time is that there's two minutes left in the fourth quarter. But it's really not about the chronos time, is it? It's about the kairos time. You know what the kairos time is at the Blazers game? It's dame time, okay? If you know, you know what I'm talking about. The man who proudly wears the number zero will point at his wrist. And if you know what, you, what he knows, you know that something is about to happen. A critical moment is about to happen. It's different than just sort of the countdown of numbers. It's about something that is about to happen in real time that we get to experience. Again, not nearly as important as what we're talking about today, but I think you understand where I'm going with this. Jesus is talking about a Kairos moment. He's talking about a critical moment that is happening right now and in his life. He is announcing a new era. The promises of old that fill the first testament in our Bibles, which we call the Old Testament, are finding their fulfillment in him. God is on the move. The kingdom of God, this is the way he says it, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus at this point, This is where we are introduced to him in Mark's gospel, the very first few verses. But at this point, Jesus is around 30 years old. And he's understood his calling for many years. And he's even been preparing for it. But he has known that the time has not yet come. But now it has. The moment has come. The Kairos moment is here. So what's happened in Jesus' life most recently is that he has been baptized by John the baptizer. And by the way, understanding baptism starts after the 11 o'clock service today. A little, little, little moment for you to consider. After the 11, we'll be in the community room learning about baptism. But Jesus, in our story here, has just been baptized. And in his baptism, what happens is he receives power and blessing and a divine commission from his heavenly father. And what he does is he immediately goes out into the wilderness to wage war with the devil. And Jesus, the story tells us, is victorious over temptation. And then what he does is he comes back into Galilee, a.k.a. nowhere special. And he announces that the Kairos moment is here. Some of you, we'll put the verse back on the screen. Some of your translations say the kingdom of God is near. Jesus comes announcing that the kingdom of God has come near to people because the king is here. And that tells us something. You'll notice the word gospel there in our text. It appears twice. You'll notice something about the nature of the gospel. And it's this, the gospel is not good advice for living. It is not kind of warm feelings for when you're feeling down. It is an announcement. More specifically, it is a royal announcement that the king is here. And these are the words uttered out of Jesus's mouth from the moment his ministry begins. And the reason why he utters this, it's because the kingdom is his priority. 
is you look through the life of Jesus, and if you read on, again, beginning of the gospel here, but if you read on through the life of Jesus, Jesus is constantly announcing that the kingdom of God has come in him. But what he does is he announces that reality, and then he demonstrates it. Just look to the next page. We're in Mark 1, but look to the next page. You'll notice, if you're looking in your Bible, you'll notice that there's different, they're called superscriptions, but really they're just headings that mark off the different um, sections of the Gospels. You'll see the one that we were just in is Jesus beginning his ministry in verses 14 and 15. In the very next passage, Jesus is calling his first disciples, and then it tells us that Jesus is healing. It says that he heals a man with an unclean spirit. A few passages later, it says that Jesus heals many other people. And then in verse 35, we are told that Jesus again is preaching in Galilee. Jesus comes announcing the kingdom as his priority. But then what he does is he demonstrates it. He says, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And then he heals somebody. Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And he raises some from the dead. He says, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And then he displays that reality by showing his power over the dominion of darkness by expelling demons. Are you with me? Jesus is announcing his kingdom and he is demonstrating it. He is proving the reality of his kingdom, but he's also showing us what his kingdom looks like. This is all throughout the Gospels. I'd encourage you, every disciple of Jesus, I'd encourage you to do this. Read the Gospels, but just notice this pattern. Jesus announcing and demonstrating. Jesus using words and works to tell us what matters most to him and to show us what matters most to him. And that is his kingdom, which has come near to all people. This is such a priority of Jesus in the Gospels that it's actually extended even on after his death and resurrection. I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 1. As I said, we're going to be turning around in our Bibles a little bit today as we kind of explore the kingdom. But what I want to do is I want to show you something in Acts chapter 1. And what I want to show you is this, that Jesus' ministry, even after his death and resurrection, continues to prioritize the kingdom of God, and he continues to use the same pattern of announcing it and then demonstrating it, of telling it and then showing it. Look at these words here in Acts chapter 1. This is Luke, it's a continuation of of the gospel of Luke that he writ, um, that he wrote. And then he goes in, in the, in the book of Acts to talk about what happened after the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Luke says this, he says in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now listen to this. He, this is Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus, even after his resurrection, is speaking and proving, demonstrating and displaying the kingdom of God. He's showing them. 
after his resurrection, he says, this is what is still happening. This was not just something that happened at the beginning of his ministry. This is what is continuing to happen. God is acting decisively in the world. Now we are going to keep reading this morning and we're going to turn the corner in this message from considering the priority of the kingdom. And then I want you to notice something right now, what Jesus says about the authority of the kingdom. We pick up in verse four of, of, of Acts one. It says this, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. The kingdom is about the authority of God. But I want you to listen to what Jesus says about the authority of the kingdom right here in verse 8. We read on. He says this, Father is fixed by his own authority. And then he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I'm going to give you a definition of the kingdom right now. Okay? This is not a perfect definition. This is not an exhaustive definition. But it's a way to wrap our minds around the kingdom. I'll say this. This definition I'm going to give you is borrowed. Okay? It's borrowed from a pastor named Jeremy Treat. He's a pastor of a church called Reality in Los Angeles. He's also a professor at Biola University. He borrowed it from a guy named Graham Goldsworthy, a theologian. And just as an aside, if anybody tells you um, as they're teaching theology that they got all of this just from themselves, they had no influences, don't listen to anything they say, okay? All right? It's borrowed, but it's helpful, I think. Here's the kingdom in eight words. God's reign through God's people over God's place. I'll say it again. God's reign through God's people over God's place. That's all you need to know. Let's close in prayer. Band, ready? No? Let's explore that a little bit together this morning. Because it is, I believe, kind of a shocking statement. It's not a surprise to us that the kingdom of God would have something to do with God's reign and God's rule. But, but look at that there. God's reign through God's people, over God's place. Now, Jesus is teaching his disciples in the book of Acts here about the kingdom of God, which again is his priority. This is what he's been doing his entire ministry. And they wonder aloud, is this the time, Jesus, when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus tells them, that's actually not the point. He says, the kingdom is about the authority of the Father. But then as he goes on to talk about what happens in the kingdom of God, he begins to tell them that they are going to receive power. And it's not the power of human ingenuity. 
It's not the power of human progress. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that will enter into their lives. And here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon them and he tells them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the city that they're in, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Or another way of saying it, it's the king's power through the king's people over the king's place, which is the whole world. This is how the kingdom of God advances. I know that some of you may be skeptical of this definition. Can we put the, the, the definition of the kingdom back up there? We're skeptical of the idea of it being through people. It's like, isn't it all about God? Are we getting off track if we talk about how the kingdom comes through God's people? And I simply want to just present to you today a couple of things. Notice the three times repeated word, God. It's God's reign. And we are God's people. And this world is God's place. Amen. But God has, and this is, this is in the entirety of the scriptures. I'm going to show you something in just a minute. In the entirety of the scriptures, this has been the way God works in the world. You don't have to turn there, but in Genesis chapter 1, we are kind of invited to see the, the story of creation. The creation story begins with the authoritative and creative power of God. It's speaking all that is into existence. And then God is forming and fashioning the world, filling it with trees and water and animals. And the highest point of his creative power is when he forms humanity, man and woman. And the whole story in Genesis 1 and 2 is about the power of God. And our world is not formed by sort of random happenstance, but it is the result of the creative power of God, the king. But in the story, and I'm going to show you this in just a minute. In the story, God himself invites human beings to rule and reign with him. You don't have to turn there again, but we'll put this on the screen. This is Genesis 1, 27 to 28. I'll read this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now listen to this. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God in creation gives humans a mission and even in authority to rule under and with him. They are what theologians call vice regents, created to fill the earth with more image-bearing humans. He's talking about baby-making. There's no way around that. It's in the Bible. But then he goes on to say that they are called to subdue the earth and to have dominion over it. Here's the truth about our world. God's good world was created not as a finished product, but with potential. And human beings that are made in the image of God are called into the world to cultivate it, to steward it, 
to work under and with God for his purposes in the world. Are you with me? This is the creation mandate given to Adam and Eve in the story. Contrary to popular belief, they are not in some sort of like perpetual vacation in the Garden of Eden. They are called to rule and reign under, but with God himself. But the story turns tragic, doesn't it? The story turns tragic because the serpent tempts them and says, what you really ought to do is rule your own kingdom. So you don't need God, the king on the throne where you work under and with him. Just do it yourself. And that is the story of humanity, isn't it? As the kingdom of darkness enters our world in the name of autonomy, in an attempt to overthrow God as king. That is what sin actually is. It's an attempt to usurp the authority, the gracious, loving authority of God himself in the name of human autonomy. And that is how our world has gone wrong. But God's not done yet, right? That's the story of the Bible. God's not done yet. God forms under his own authority a new people, Israel, that is called to be a light, called to be a blessing in the world, to show the whole world what God is like, and he gives them a land. And what's the land called? It's called Canaan, the promised land. Again, we have the pattern yet again. The king's rule through the king's people over the king's place. The pattern begins to play out again. But also the unfortunate part and the tragic part of the pattern continues as Israel rejects God as king. And this is what we do all the time. We reject God as king. When you see war in our world, it's our world rejecting God as king. When you see murder in our world, it is us rejecting God as king. When you see poverty, when you see destruction, when you see racism, when you see all forms of evil, it is a rejection of God's place as king. And so it tells us something about the nature of the kingdom of God that Jesus says is advancing. And that is the kingdom of God that is advancing is a redemptive kingdom. It's God taking back what is rightfully his. Jesus has come to say, I am going to defeat the kingdoms of this world, but not by subjugating people, not through coercion, Not through the abuse of power, but through sacrificial love. Jesus says, this is the way my kingdom will advance. It means that God sent his son, the world's true king, the Messiah, to redeem all that is lost. Jesus does this through his life, his ministry, his teaching, his miracles, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. That's the gospel of God that Jesus announces, that in his life, God is saying, this is my world, and I'm taking it back. It's a royal announcement. It's about the rule of God 
It's about the reign of God that extends through his people over the world, which Jesus is saying he is getting back. To be clear, we do not bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. The kingdom of God is not the result of evolutionary processes or human endeavors or effort. It's not something that we conjure up on our own. It's what God's doing. The question is, for all of us who follow Jesus, is, will we perceive it? Will it become our priority? Will it be the thing that matters the most to us? Will we look for it? Will we seek to walk in it? Back in Acts chapter one, Jesus is telling his disciples this. He's saying this. He's saying, I'm now extending my ministry to you and through you. Jesus gathers his disciples and he says, I'm still talking about the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, but I want you to know right now that I'm gonna fill you with my spirit so that you can take my message into the world. If you read the rest of the book of Acts, you will find that the book of Acts is the same ebb and flow of the gospels. These followers of Jesus announce that Jesus is the king and then they demonstrate it through power, through Holy Spirit empowered miracles and acts. That's what the book of Acts is. It's the announcement that Jesus is king and the demonstration of it through their lives. It's not something they conjure up on their own. It's something that God is in fact doing. And I have to tell you this, that is extended to us as well. Our life as disciples and followers of Jesus, please hear me, is to announce his kingdom and to demonstrate what it looks like everywhere that we go. We demonstrate the kingdom of God in every space that we inhabit, in our homes, in our schools, in our work, in our neighborhoods, in places of power, and on the streets. We are invited to announce the world's true king has come. And his kingdom is qualitatively different than every kingdom that we see in this world. We announce it. We demonstrate it through the power of the spirit. John Calvin, the reformer said this. He says, it is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. Make the invisible kingdom visible. And how in the world are we going to do that? How in the world are we going to become the kind of people whose lives announce and demonstrate a different kind of kingdom. It's right back there in Mark chapter 1. We'll end there. I want you to turn back there. In Mark 1, in 15, verse 15, Jesus says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then here's our part. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is what we are to do. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent is the Greek word metaneo, metanoeo. <laughs> it's a hard one. And it literally means to change one's mind or purpose. 
The nature of the word repentance is corrective. So when we repent of sin, we are not just saying, I did something wrong. We are recognizing that our minds need to be changed. We are recognizing when we repent that we have prioritized the wrong thing. Or to put it in the language of Jesus, we've been pursuing the wrong kingdom. We are told by Jesus to repent. And we are told to believe. Believe is a far more, I guess, positive term to us. Believe means to entrust yourself. It means to place your trust in the good news the gospel, which is the reality that in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, he has become the world's true king. And we entrust ourselves to that reality and repent that we have believed and followed and entrusted something else. For some of you today, the invitation is this. Maybe for the first time, repent that you've been following another king and entrust yourself to the king of kings. Today, this could be your day to experience the power of being transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. What a joy that is. But also, repentance and believing is the ongoing life of the disciple of Jesus. It's what we come to do every week when we gather here as a church. We come to repent and believe and trust in Christ. Perhaps put it this way, we've come to reprioritize everything under the reality of Jesus and his kingdom. The kingdom of God extends to every aspect of our lives. If he is king, then he is king over everything. And we pause when we come to gather to say, have I been prioritizing something other than the thing that mattered most to Jesus, which was his kingdom. And we do that in grace. We do that in community. We do that in worship. We do that as we come to the table each week. The goal of Jesus is that his priorities would become yours. That's what he wants for your life. He wants the things that he loves to be the things that you love. He wants the things that he hates to be things that you hate as well. He wants to Extend his sacrificial love in and through your life. He wants you to repent and believe in the gospel. One of the most simple ways to do that, and I'm going to invite the band to come forward this morning. One of the most simple ways to do that is to pray in the way that he taught us to pray. This is the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to pray it together. Can you see that? Okay. Kind of. Maybe you memorized it. I want you to notice as we, as I, I'm going to walk through this prayer, and then we're going to pray it together. 
But I want you to notice what Jesus says as he prays about the kingdom. He says, I want you to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this is a prayer, this next part is a prayer for our life and our world. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, my life as it is in heaven. This is a prayer of repentance. This is a prayer of reprioritization of what matters most. What matters most is the kingdom of God is on the move. And notice what Jesus says to ask for. Our daily bread. We're asking for just enough, Jesus. And he says, forgive us our debts because the quality of the kingdom of God is sacrificial love and forgiveness. And so how natural would it be for us to pray that God would forgive us as we forgive others? And he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the kingdom of darkness. And notice how he ends his prayer. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We do this this morning. We stand with me. There is so much more we could say about the kingdom of God. Jesus took three plus years to do it. But we start by recognizing that this is his priority. This is what matters to him. And we want what matters to him to matter to us. We want to reprioritize our lives around that reality. The kingdom of God is about the authority of God. And God, and and this, this doesn't make sense to us, God has chosen to extend his rule and reign through our lives. What an amazing privilege and honor to be used in his kingdom so that the good news of Jesus would extend to all the earth. What a gift. How's that ever gonna happen? It starts in prayer. So will you pray this with me together this morning? Let's pray this aloud. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Followers of Jesus have been commanded by him to come to the table each week. And actually they've been told to come and take the bread and the cup until Jesus returns when he will bring the kingdom in fullness and all the world will see and know and God will reign. And until that day, we wait in hopeful expectation. We take the bread and the cup 
and we remind ourselves Jesus is king and we are not. We take the bread and cup and we repent, not just of our sins, but our priorities. And we ask that the spirit that raised Christ from the dead would rule in our hearts. And that's what we do today.